This morning we're going to look at Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, not 9 through 17a like the bulletin says. I don't know why I do this, but every single week it seems like I just cut in half, so that's too much. Too ambitious, I guess. This is God's inspired instructional word. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father or excuse me, who walk in the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our God and Father, we are so thankful for the gift of your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We love your word and we know that without it, we would not have the words of eternal life. We would not know about your love that extends to the world. We would not know where to turn for forgiveness and deliverance from guilt and shame. As your sacred word is expounded this morning, we ask that we would hear your voice and respond with humble obedience so that we can enjoy the manifold blessings that come through obedience through your word. So may we not merely listen to your word this morning, but may we do what it tells us to do. And we pray for these things confidently in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Blaise Pascal was a French mathematician and philosopher who died in 1662. Uh, His most famous work is Pensies, which means thoughts. In thought number 233, to be exact, we have what is commonly known as Pascal's Wager. In simple terms, it works like this. Venturing to believe in God is wise because it involves very little risk while it promises great possible gain. Pascal said it this way. God is or He is not. But to which side shall we incline? A game is being played at the extremity of this infinite distance where heads or tails will turn up. What will you wager? You must wager. It is not optional. Which will you choose then? Let us weigh the gain and the loss in wagering that God is. If you gain, you gain all. If you lose, you lose nothing. Wager then without hesitation that He is. About three weeks ago, um, I saw a modern version of Pascal's wager on the back of a semi-truck. It was heading down the highway in big, bold letters. This was on the back of the truck. The gamble. I believe in God and you don't. If there is no God, after we die, we both lose. But if God exists after we die, 
I win and you lose. <laughs> That's a modern day example of Pascal's wager. Now let's evaluate it just for a moment. On the positive side, um, at least it gets people thinking about life after death. What if there is a God after you die? Are you ready to meet your Maker? It also helps us to see that if we reject God, it could be very costly. In fact, it could be eternally costly. So there's some positive elements to the wager. On the negative side, the gamble is not the Gospel. The Gospel is not believe in the possibility that God might exist and you shall be saved. Not even close. And true saving faith is not believing that possibly, just maybe, God exists. That's not true faith. The Gospel of Jesus Christ is not to be equated with the purchasing of a $2 Mega Millions lottery ticket. The cost is minimal, but it holds out the possibility of great gain. Now, I mentioned Pascal's wager because 350 laters, it is still being presented and people still think that it's the Gospel. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. And I know that most of you have had this experience. You talk with somebody about God and their response might be something like, Oh, I believe in the existence of God. Raise your hand if you've ever had somebody say that. See, just about everybody in this room. You know what that shows? They're buying in to some form of Pascal's wager. They think that is sufficient to believe in the existence of God. And they think that they're okay because when they die and if God is there, they're going to think, ah, I'm okay because I said during my life that I believed in the existence of a God. Now, we need to disabuse them of this notion that this is the Gospel. We need to let them know that it's not sufficient just to believe in the possibility that God exists. We need to let them know that they need to put their faith specifically in the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross for their sins, who rose again on the third day, and then 40 days later ascended into heaven. By the way, if you've been coming here for a while, you may have noticed that we rotate between the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Lord's Prayer that we said this morning. Since the first century, the church has been confessing the Apostles' Creed. Since the fourth century, the church has been confessing the Nicene Creed. Here's the middle of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He was he suffered and was buried. The third day He rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father and He shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. That's the Gospel right there. If you believe that, if you're trusting in that, you're saved. And you know why we say that week after week after week? It's so that we can pound it into your skulls. (laughs) It really is. If we want to be honest... 
And by the way, if we have visitors to our church on that Sunday and they're wondering, I wonder what they believe, we're telling them what we believe. We're being very specific and precise. This is what we believe. This is what we're trusting in. We want to communicate very clearly what we believe. And as many of you know, uh, communication has two elements, right? Very simple, right? Speaking and listening, right? Couldn't be any simpler than that, right? Speaking and listening or hearing. And you say something and the other person hears exactly what you are saying, right? Well, not always. <laughs> you ever experienced this in marriage? You say something and your spouse hears something completely different and you're like, what happened? <laughs> well, here, here's what happens. There's not just, no, no elbows, please. <laughs> there's not just speaking and hearing. There's speaking. There's this huge filter that it goes through and then there's hearing. Uh, one pastor said that on one occasion he was trying to be as clear as he could be. And he was talking about what we've been talking about here in previous weeks. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. He was trying to make that so clear and obvious to everyone. And sure enough, Man walks to him up to after the service and pastor, you are so right. You said this morning what I've been saying for years. God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> what happened? What happened? It something went wrong. There was a filter and he didn't quite hear what the pastor was saying. Now, Paul, as I just said, is trying to be clear that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But he knows that as he presents this to the Jews, they're going to hear it through a Jewish filter. That's to be obvious, right? I mean, they're not going to hear it through a Gentile filter. They're not going to hear it through an American filter. They're going to hear it through a Jewish filter. And he knows that it may come across as something like this. Yes, Paul, you are so right. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. So long as we also make sure that we have good deeds, are circumcised, and adhere to the law of Moses. <laughs> Paul knows that that's how it's going to be misunderstood. He knows. He's a Jew. He shares their filter. So he, he knows how that's going to come across. So in this passage, after talking about justification... Grace alone, faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. He's going to go on to say, now let me be very, very clear. It's not works. And we saw that last week, and Abraham was his example, and then he threw in David for good measure. And this week we're going to address it's not by circumcision. And then next week we'll come to the point it's not through law. So, This morning we want to address circumcision. Paul begins by a question, verse 9. Is this blessing, and the blessing he's talking about was mentioned in verse 6, the blessing that we are declared righteous through faith apart from works, is this blessing only for the circumcised, in other words, the Jew, or also for the uncircumcised, the Gentile? And you know how a Jew would answer that in the first century? Well, of course, this blessing is only for the circumcised. That really is what they believed. Turn back to Acts 15. comes right before the book of Romans. Acts 15. 
And in Acts 15, we have what we could call the first great church council. I mean, we have the Council of Nicaea, where we got the Nicene Creed, other councils, but this was the first great Christian council, we could say. Acts 15, verses 1 and 2. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, there's an understatement, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Okay, No, no small debate. They go up to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles and the head honchos, if you will, of the early church. In other words, they're saying we got to get all the leaders involved in this. This is a big issue. Drop down to verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believed who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Now, I won't go through the rest of this. Uh, you can read through it on your own. But they were saying faith was not sufficient. They also had to be circumcised and adhere to the law of Moses. But for now, I just want you to see that was a natural inclination. If you're a Jew, faith is not good enough. You got to be circumcised. You got to follow the law of Moses. And the early church addressed this in Acts 15. And Paul is addressing it right here because he knows they have this misunderstanding because he understands their filter. He understands how they are hearing him. So he continues on in verse 9. We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Saw this last week. He's, he's quoting from Genesis 15:6. Abraham doesn't have any children. God takes him outside. Look at the stars. If you can count them, so will your offspring be. Abraham believes God credited to him as righteousness. And then he asked this great follow-up question. How then was it counted to him? Was it before? or after he had been circumcised. Now, stop right there. I, I think, and this hit me when I was just thinking about it this week, I think the Jews never considered this argument before. And I think when, when Paul points this out, they are absolutely stunned, and they're going to say to themselves, how did we overlook this? How did we overlook this? It's a great question. So he believes God. Genesis 15, 6, and then he asked this question, how then was it counted to him? This righteousness, was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. So in Genesis 15, he's declared righteous. Two chapters later, in Genesis 17, we have the covenant sign of circumcision. And between Genesis 15 and 17, we have 14 years or maybe 29 years as the rabbis thought. The precise number is immaterial, but whether it's 14 years or 29 years, you can see there's a huge separation, right? 
There's a huge separation. Abraham was justified. Abraham was saved as a Gentile. I think that's what the Jews said. Mm, I, I really do. I think they, they took a step back and they realized, wait a second, Abraham was saved as a Gentile. He wasn't circumcised until 14 or 29 years later. The logic is irrefutable. And it's powerful. And I think they're thinking to themselves, how could we have missed this? And then verse 11, he says, He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Abraham, what we could call believer's circumcision. He believed first and then he was circumcised. And then God said, now I want you to take this sign of the covenant, righteousness by faith, and I want you to place it upon eight-day-old Isaac. The sign of the covenant. He received what we could call infant or covenant circumcision. And let me mention baptism this morning. A couple of things are relevant about baptism. I like to say to people, if you're uncomfortable with children receiving the sign of the righteousness by faith as babies before they're exercising faith, realize that for 2,100 years, God said, take this sign of righteousness by faith and put it on babies. I think that's very important. So when we come to the New Testament, if there had been a change, I think God would have said, now we're going to do it very differently. He never mentioned that. The only thing that changes, I believe, and we don't have to divide over this, but is the sign of the covenant. The sign of the covenant changes from circumcision to baptism. The change is very important because now that Christ has come, the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant has come, and it changes to baptism so that we can baptize men and women, Jews and Gentiles, because this covenant is more inclusive. It's bringing more people into the covenant. I think it's also relevant for this point to talk about baptism. Uh, Circumcision didn't save. Circumcision didn't save. That's, That's very important. The Jews thought they were okay because they were circumcised. And today in many mainline denominations, especially you will see this, people will think that they're okay because they were baptized or their relatives are okay because they've been baptized And Paul is also making it very clear here. Circumcision isn't enough. You also have to have faith. You can have the sign without having the substance. The sign, whether it be circumcision or baptism, is the righteousness by faith. But the sign alone doesn't mean that you have the substance. Faith that leads to righteousness. Now, God had a divine purpose in mind with Abraham by separating this belief and this circumcision. And as I said, that's so that he could be a father of Jews and Gentiles. Let's continue on in verse 11. The purpose was to make him Abraham the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And 
to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also, notice how he's making it very clear, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So Paul's making it very clear that circumcision isn't sufficient. You must also have the faith that Abraham had. You must walk in faith. So that is very important. So here's a relevant question. Who can claim Abraham as their father today? Christians. Galatians 3.29 And if you are Christ, because of your faith, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I don't think it could be any clearer. If you belong to Christ because of your faith in Christ, you are Abraham's offspring. So you can sing that song, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's praise the Lord. Okay, Father Abraham is our father if we have faith. It has always been that way. Who cannot claim Abraham as their father? This is, this is just the flip side of the coin, is it not? What's the answer to that question? It's not hard. I'm not trying to stump you. It's not. Those who don't have faith. Okay, very simple. Those who have faith in Jesus Christ are offspring of Abraham. He's their father. Those who don't have faith cannot claim Abraham as their Father, in this true spiritual sense. John 8. I'll just give you one verse, 39. Another one of these passages. If you want to read the context a little later, you can, but I think John 8, 39 is clear. They answered him. That's a reference to Jesus. Abraham is our father. They thought because they were Jews. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're not Abraham's children. This is not what Abraham did. Did And a little later, he's going to become even more specific and he's going to say, your father is the devil and things will really get heated up. So your father's either Abraham or your father's the devil. And that really is the option. But Paul couldn't be any clearer. It is by faith. Who belongs to Abraham? Who can claim the promises given to Abraham, those who are of faith. This is so basic, yet even in our day, it's so misunderstood. So Paul is clear here. The blessing of forgiveness and God counting us righteous apart from works is for all who put their faith in Jesus Christ, whether or not they are circumcised. That is irrelevant. Now, what we've seen, and again, we've, we've seen this for weeks and we'll see it again next week, is the importance of faith. 
It's the importance of faith. And I think as Christians, we understand very clearly that we are justified by faith. But it's so easy to transition by beginning the Christian life by faith, trusting God. And I think of my own experience. I think of the sin that I struggled with and I couldn't overcome. And I'm just pouring out my heart. I need your help. I can't do this on my own. And then a little later in the Christian life, to turn to works. We begin by faith, but then we turn to works and we think, okay, I got to try really hard. And we forget that we begin the Christian life with faith, but we have to continue on in faith. And I don't know what you're struggling with today, but this is what I know. You need to look to Jesus Christ. You need to look to Jesus Christ. God is bringing a difficulty into your life. Maybe so you will look to Him. Maybe to remind you of your dependence upon Him. Maybe you forget. It's easy to do, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, everything goes well. It's all oh, doing fine. And then all of a sudden, whoa, whoa. <laughs> fall. We fall and I, I need God. I, I need His help. Let me close with Hebrews 11 and then, and then 12 just quickly. Hebrews 11. And let me just, uh, let me just read a few verses and, and see if you don't note a common theme that maybe stands out. Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, which he was commended as righteous Drop down to verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Verse 8. Ah, 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Verse 8, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Verse 9, By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same Promise, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Even when she was past age, she considered him faithful who had promised. Maybe that's sufficient. Did you notice a common theme? What, was, was it obvious? Should I give you a few more verses? You're not, not connecting yet. The common theme is by faith. By faith. One other verse, 6. And without faith, it is hard to please God? No. Difficult to please God? No. Impossible to please Him. Forever would draw near to God, must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So if you want to please God, regardless of what you're going through, look to Him in faith and believe that He will get you through. Trust Him, and that's what pleases God. Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Not cloud of examples, cloud of witnesses. That was pointed out to me. They're not just examples, they're witnesses. What are they witnesses of? Jesus Christ. Let us also... Notice that. So let's do the same thing that they did. What did they do? Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. They looked to Jesus. Let me give you one example. 23. By faith, Moses... This is back in chapter 11, sorry. Hebrews 11.23 By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Isn't that fascinating? Moses considered the reproach of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Years ago, I wrote a devotional called Moses Was a Christian. He did what he did for Jesus Christ. And this was the passage right here. He was looking ahead to the coming of Christ. And we're to do the same thing that they did in chapter 11. And this is how you live by faith. Three ways. We saw them in Hebrews 12. Let us also lay aside every weight. we got to lay aside every weight. And of course, the illustration here is of runners in the first century. And if they ran in the games, many of you know they ran naked. I mean, they literally, they cost, they threw off all weight, right? Of course, in our society, we don't call them runners, we call them streakers. But, <laughs> but be that as it may, they threw off all weight so that they could be light and they could run as fast as they could. We need to think about the things that are slowing us down. And sometimes it can be good things. One of the other things we have to get rid of is sin, the sin which clings so closely. So obviously we have to get rid of sin. That's going to slow us down in the race. But we have to think about maybe good things that are overwhelming us. Maybe God wants us to enjoy them, but maybe not as much. And a good question to ask from time to time is, Lord, what would you like me to sacrifice so that I could be more efficient, more light in running the Christian race? And then finally, we have to do the same thing that they did, looking to Jesus. They looked ahead. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such hostility against Him so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted, And then think of this verse. For in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I always find that to be a rebuke. It hasn't cost you your life yet. It cost Jesus His life. But we're to fix our eyes on Jesus. We're to look to Him. And what an amazing statement. Who for the joy that was set before Him, 
endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before Christ? We are. We are. We're part of that joy. He knew that He was dying on the cross for you, that you would be forgiven, that you would be redeemed, that you would spend eternity with Him. He knew that His Father would be pleased. He knew that His Father would be honored and glorified. And ultimately, we're to fix our eyes on Jesus and to see the sacrifice that he made. And what great preparation for coming to the table as we partake of the the bread and the wine that represents the body and blood of Christ that was given for us sinners so that he could be redeemed. And what a great reminder. What a great reminder. When he was thinking of us, He didn't do it reluctantly. He didn't say, okay, if this is what I have to do, Father, I'll do it. Yes, it was hard. Yes, he sweat drops of blood as he agonized over the hell that he would face on the cross. But even in the midst of that, there was the joy of the Lord that was his strength. The joy of the redemption that he was bringing about to the glory of his Father. So let's... Let's close in prayer and then we'll ask the the ushers to come forth and distribute the elements. Father, almost always without exception when I think of faith, I think of that, that great request. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Father, there's not a single one of us in this room who has 100% pure faith. But Father, we do believe Help us in our unbelief. Increase our faith. Help us to see, as we sang a little while ago, that great is your faithfulness. You can be trusted. And Father, I just want to ask you by way of your Spirit to minister to every person in this room. Remind them of your great love for them, which is seen so clearly, which is seen most clearly, in the giving of your Son, whom you gave because of your love for them, and Jesus who came because of his love for them. Father, help us to reflect upon this love and be overwhelmed by it and be transformed by it. In Christ's name, amen.